Your business is an asset that can support a thriving life. I believe this, and I am committed to making this a reality for every entrepreneur and business owner who listens to this podcast. The Women Driving in Business podcast was created with you in mind. Whether you are thinking about entrepreneurship or you're a business veteran, this podcast has inspiration, information, and advice you can use to thrive in business. Women Thriving in Business features candid, unscripted conversations with entrepreneurs, business experts, authors, and academics who will contribute to your business success. I seek out and talk with business leaders who have built, grown, and thrived in business. My name is Nikki Rogers, transformation coach, author, and the host of Women Thriving in Business podcast. I work with women entrepreneurs to develop the mindset, strategies, and connections necessary to thrive in business. Join me and your fellow thrivers each week on this journey of discovery and success. Welcome, Thrivers. My guest for this episode is Camille Richardson, who is the Deputy Assistant Secretary for the Office of Middle East and Africa for the U.S. and Foreign Commercial Service. Camille and I had a great conversation where she shared a lot about her background and how she got started with international trade, how she became a Foreign Service Officer, and then some of her career highlights. Camille has traveled the world and was just very generous in sharing her experiences during this conversation. We also talked about some of the key resources that are available for businesses that are looking to engage in international trade, particularly small and medium-sized businesses, since they make up so much of the U.S. economy. And then we actually got into some of the advice that Camille has for living intentionally in order to achieve your dreams. For someone who started off dreaming of becoming a diplomat at age 15 to now becoming a deputy assistant secretary, I think Camille has a lot of advice to give us on how you can actually live out your dreams. So here's some details on Camille's background. Camille Richardson is a tenured senior foreign service officer with the U.S. Commercial Service. She began her career in government with the International Trade Administration at the U.S. Department of Commerce in 1993. And within five years, she became an accredited diplomat with the U.S. Commercial Service and has served six tours of duty in Miami, Florida, Buenos Aires, Rio de Janeiro, Nairobi, Mumbai, and Sao Paulo. And in each one of those assignments, she was responsible for facilitating commercial partnerships between U.S. and local companies. Camille's latest initiative is the Women Empowered Leave Legacies Through Trade and Investment Initiative, also known as Wealthy. And in this initiative, the goal is to bring together business women from the United States, the Middle East, and Africa to discuss strategies and techniques to improve their businesses and also to provide these businesses with the data, knowledge, contacts, and financing they need in order to increase trade. 
Camille is a native of Washington, D.C., and she earned a bachelor's in international relations from Brown University and an M.A. in international relations from Johns Hopkins Sice. She speaks Portuguese and Portugal, along with a bit of Hindi, Swahili, and French. I had a great time talking with Camille. I learned so much about how businesses can get involved with international trade. And I know that you will enjoy our conversation as much as I did. Let's go. Welcome, Thrivers, to this week's episode of Women Thriving in Business podcast. My guest today is a very special guest. I'm so excited to have her with us today. So I'd like to welcome Camille Richardson, who is the Deputy Assistant Secretary for the Office of the Middle East and Africa with the International Trade Administration. So welcome, Camille, to the Women Thriving in Business podcast. Thanks, Nikki. It's such a joy to be here with you this morning. It's actually my very first podcast, so I'm so excited. I'm excited. I'm glad that I was picked to be your first podcast interview. So I'm super excited about that. I'm hoping to make Monday very magical. Yay! Yay! (laughs) So Camille, I'd like for us to start off by you telling us what exactly a Deputy Assistant Secretary for the International Trade Administration, what does your job entail? Thanks for that question, Nikki. So I'm actually part of a much larger machine at the U.S. Department of Commerce. But what makes my job really exciting and interesting is that we help fulfill the mission of the Commerce Department to grow the U.S. economy through international trade and investment. And so I've actually had a career in international trade for going on 30 years. It's been super exciting. It's not something that a lot of people necessarily follow. Certainly not a lot of Black women necessarily get into this, although I'm hoping that perhaps through today's podcast, more will become interested in it. We certainly are committed to diversity within our department. And I think certainly under this administration, there's even a greater push toward diversity and inclusion. So we're always looking for good people. I am actually an officer, a foreign service officer. So that means that I'm a career diplomat, which is a dream that I found when I was 15 years old as a sophomore in high school and then just pursued. And I've had the opportunity to live this dream now for, as I said, going on 30 years. So my job is to essentially be a public servant to help U.S. businesses explore opportunities overseas, which is what I did as an officer in the field for going on 20 years. And I've had a wonderful opportunity to come back here to Washington, where when I did that, when I made that decision, the stars aligned, and I ended up in this position, which means that I run the region for the Middle East and Africa. So I have a team of experts here in headquarters, a team of colleagues out in the field who focus on this region and on helping companies find the right opportunities. And then, of course, we have an amazing team of officers, commercial diplomats, as well as locally engaged staff in about, I think, 18 different markets across the Middle East and Africa. So it's our job as the U.S. Commercial Service, which is the diplomatic arm of the Commerce Department, to help companies find opportunities and to to minimize risk and maximize chances of success. So exporting good businesses overseas can be a very risky business. And the commercial service was created, I guess, about 40 odd years ago now. We were initially part of the State Department and we were carved out to be and put into commerce to be especially responsive to the business community. Usually we find that our phones start ringing when the U.S. economy goes down because then people start looking for opportunities outside U.S. borders. So we're there to help companies create better paying jobs higher skilled jobs, and to make money faster. And that's particularly important right now 
as we're looking to recover from this global pandemic caused by COVID-19. So we're actually here to make sure that more companies know about the fact that there is a service, there is a diplomatic arm of the Commerce Department out there to help you recover faster through international trade. And that's what I do. Great. That sounds like an exciting and complex job, I would imagine. So can you talk to us a bit about your background, how you got here? So you Mm -hmm. talked about having a dream of being a diplomat from the age of 15. Yeah, can you step us through how you got started with the Department of Commerce and some of the jobs that you've had along the way? Okay, so I'm a native Washingtonian, and my mom, being a teacher, wanted to make sure that I got the best education possible to open up as many opportunities as I wanted to pursue. I had early exposure to other languages and cultures, actually starting in preschool, interestingly Mm -hmm. enough. And so by the time I got to college, I decided I went to Brown University and I pursued a degree in international relations along with a double major in literature and society. But the international relations diplomacy track is really where I focused my energy and my efforts. And then I continued to pursue that track through graduate school at Johns Hopkins School of Advanced International Studies or Johns Hopkins SITES as it's called for short. And then upon coming out of graduate school, I found out about a program called the Presidential Management Fellowship which essentially is sort of a young exec program, kind of a fast track into government with a lot of management and leadership training. And there actually is quite an extensive network across the federal government of what we call PMFs. So getting into that program got me into the Commerce Department, actually initially focusing on Asia, because that was back in 1993. Yeah, that's when I started back in 1993. So that was when the four tigers of Asia were emerging and there was a lot of polluting technologies. And so USAID and Commerce signed an agreement to set up a program called the U.S.-Asia Environmental Partnership. And the idea was to make U.S. environmental technology companies aware of opportunities in Southeast Asia through special representatives that were placed in key markets. And I was the person here in Washington that was coordinating the marketing campaign and doing business counseling and et cetera. So the really interesting opportunity was very unique. Uh, It was a great entree into international trade for me, and I just developed a love for it. And moved on from there to our director general's office. We have an assistant secretary director general of the commercial service at the time, Lori Fitzpagato, another sister, very powerful, very well connected, a very dear friend and mentor who brought me on, put me on the Africa portfolio. And so we actually created our very first global team and global strategy focused on Africa with our deputy secretary, our then deputy secretary, I think it was Robert Mallett, was leading it. So it was just a really exciting time under Ron Brown as our secretary to have an Africa strategy and to have that kind of experience and exposure, to which we've now come full circle, but I'll get to that in a minute with Deputy Secretary Graves. We have our own foreign service exam. And so I took it while I was in that position. It's called the commercial assessment. I got into it. I got into the service. Very exciting. Started off with an initial tour in Miami. You might say, well, that's kind of odd. Why would, as a foreign service officer, why would you have a tour in Miami? Well, first of all, Miami is a foreign service officer tour, believe me. If you don't speak Spanish and Portuguese, you're lost in Miami. But besides that, we do actually have a network of 106 offices across the United States staffed by really, really smart, very talented, very capable trade specialists. And so they are there to help small and medium-sized businesses uncover the opportunities around the world and to put together a business strategy, a trade strategy for exporting. So it's a risky business. It requires top-level commitments and resources and willpower. 
They're not always easy markers to crack, but anything that requires patience and persistence is usually worth the rewards that you reap down the line. You're there to make sure that your chances of success are increased. So I did serve in what we call a U.S. Export Assistance Center in Miami for a couple of years and innovated with some new ideas for our organization. And then that got me a first assignment in Buenos Aires, Argentina. So I moved to Buenos Aires in, I think it was 2001. It was 2001. I'd learned a bit of Spanish and this was right before the Argentine economy fell apart. So I got the post in February, watched the slow train wreck of the Argentine economy that by November, the banks were essentially exercising capital controls. The Argentine presidency went through five different people in about five days. It was crazy. It was bad times in Buenos Aires, but a fascinating time to be there as a diplomat, as a professional. And my portfolio overnight went from trade promotion to advising companies how to get paid. So that was a really interesting education for a first-year officer. It was a fantastic tour. I was there for four years, saw the economy bounce back, saw business come back in. It was very, very interesting. And then from there, I got assigned to Rio de Janeiro, where I got to learn Portuguese. Argentina and Brazil are right next to each other, but it's kind of like night and day. It's like two different universes right next to each other. But my tour in Rio was amazing. It was a five-year tour, a lot of focus on the energy portfolio because Rio is a beautiful oil and gas town, but make no mistake, it is an oil and gas town. And then from there, I went to Nairobi, Kenya, which was my first experience on the continent. It was an amazing experience with the team there. Three years there, then on to Mumbai, India, which was amazing just because of the scale of India for another three years. Back to Washington for a brief stint, then into Sao Paulo, Brazil, back to Brazil, this time at a higher level position, essentially managing the operations of our five post operation there. And then I ended up cutting that tour a little bit short to come home and care for my mom. I think we all ran into that challenge and I'm an only child. So she needed me to come back. And when I made that decision and made that commitment, things just kind of aligned. And here I am as a deputy assistant secretary, which is not something that I had actually ever envisioned for myself, but I'm really, really enjoying. I love that. So thank you, Camille, for sharing the trajectory of your career. I think you touched on a number of things that I think are important to think about. My audience is mostly entrepreneurs, but I think the way in which you have moved through your career is important to note for entrepreneurs or anyone who's, even if you're in corporate or in government, because you embraced a lot of different experiences. You moved around a lot. I'm sure there was some strategy that went into that. And we can talk about that a little bit more. And I think really leaning in, whether you felt like you were prepared or not, you really leaned into situations in order to be successful. And as you think about all these different experiences that you had, what were some of the challenges that Mm -hmm. you faced during this time, whether it be personal, professional, whatever you'd like to share, but what were some of the challenges that you had to overcome as you were going through your experience at Commerce? That's a great question. So I would say that when I first came in to the Commerce Department, I was coming in through a special program that kind of set me apart from my peers. And that relationship became a little bit difficult at times to navigate, especially being the only double minority in the room. I'm not shy about asking for help or advice. And when I hear the same thing over and over again, I act on it. So, you know, I got over that little hump. It's just always a challenge, I think, sometimes as a Black woman, sometimes navigating things. That's not my come from. And I don't let people put me in that box. 
but it doesn't mean that it doesn't have an impact. So there have been times where I've been told repeatedly that I'm intimidating, where that's not my intention at all, but that's something to take a look at. I've been told that I can be very direct. So I've had to learn to adapt my communication style. There's certainly been different career challenges and lessons that I've learned along the way, sometimes the hard way. But I think probably my biggest takeaways have been that the most important thing to remember that would make any type of career move or career experience is that it's always all about the people around you. It's not where you are. It's how you are with the people that surround you. Part of my journey is that I've become a professional coach and I've had other young women of color seek me out. And one thing that I see among African-American women consistently is this fear of coming off as threatening or intimidating, wanting to bury their light or hide their light or make themselves small. And I would just encourage anybody out there, particularly as an entrepreneur, to never do that. People will know that you're trying to hide and they're kind of wondering what you're hiding and why you're hiding. You just got to be yourself and you're not going to be everybody's cup of tea. And that's okay as long as you treat people with respect and you command the same respect for yourself. You give it, you get it. It's that type of thing. It really is all about your mindset and your come from. There had been times where I felt stuck in my career. And as I said, I'm not shy about asking for help. And so I would get coaching or get mentoring or some sort of outside perspective that could kind of help me see where I perhaps had a blind spot. Because one of the worst places to be in life is where you don't know what you don't know. (laughs) Because that's where some of the unpleasant surprises can come from. So sometimes it's a really good idea just to have not just a mentor, but even a circle of advisors, a circle of trusted people that you can turn to for different perspectives. And I would even say, look for people who are not like you whether it's the gender or whether it's race or age or religion, you want to look for people that can offer different perspectives and different sets of wisdom to help so that you have more maneuverability to shift your perspective and your come from and your approach. Whether it's difficulty with a colleague or whether it's not understanding why didn't I get promoted this year, there's all kinds of perspectives. And I would say that in this particular career path and in any, resilience and adaptability are so important. In fact, we're actually evaluated on our resilience. How resilient are you? How did you face a challenge and overcome it? How did you take those lemons and make something of them that was palatable to yourself and to other people? I could say lemonade, I could say a lemon drop, whatever is your flavor. (laughs) How did you take those lemons and make something of them that then gives you the fuel and the energy? I would say that one of the things I've found in coaching And it's a special course that I've actually taken on it is that everybody has a way of self-sabotage. Either let that run you or you could take the energy and the information from it and turn it into something positive. So let's say you're anxious about, I don't know, maybe you're as a business owner, you're anxious about finances. So where does that anxiety come from? What's underneath that? And how does that drive you to actually do something about it? That's kind of the space that I'm in right now. But yeah, I've overcome a lot of challenges, but I've also had an amazing career. I like to say I followed the coffee and the tea all over the place. I've learned languages. I've been in different cultures. At some point, personally, you get to a point where, okay, romance, love, what's that? I'm working, that kind of thing. Or the culture is just so different. It just becomes very, very difficult. 
So you get to make choices and you have to decide along the way what's important to you. Maybe when you're in your 20s, it's about doing a good job and getting promoted and all these other things. And as you age, maybe it's more about putting down roots and maybe having a family. You have to kind of decide. And women get to make these decisions along the way. And in this particular career, it can be very tough on families and it can be tough on single people. It's not easy. It sounds glamorous, but it really is a labor of love. We expose ourselves to all kinds of things. We expose ourselves to political unrest, to economic uncertainty, to all kinds of health risks when we're out there. But we do it because it's a fascinating opportunity to actually be of service. I love that. I mean, you talked about so much there. I love this concept of having different sets of wisdom to draw upon. So as you're navigating challenges is really leaning into the mentorship, the coaches, that circle of advisors in order to have those different sets of wisdom to draw from. I I love that idea. You talked about self-sabotage. I think that's a constant thing that we have to overcome. A lot of people talk about fear of failure, but a lot of us actually have a fear of success because if you succeed, then you actually have to be different. So that's always a fear. Oh, you're going to change. Well, that's part of life. You actually have to change. You have to adapt. You have to evolve. But I think a lot of us feel challenged with that Mm -hmm. because if you achieve your dreams, who do you have to be in order to achieve those dreams and sustain those dreams? But also this idea of intentional living and living in choice. Yeah. I talk to a lot of particularly women who always say, I have to do something. And I'm like, there's nothing you have to do. You get to be in choice, right? right? And one key place to be in choice is, and I learned this very recently, is about being a victim or not being a victim. When you're a victim, you're giving your power away and you're basically sort of chalking it up to circumstance instead of taking on, okay, this is the situation I find myself in. Perhaps I can think about how I'm responsible for getting myself here and how I'm responsible for getting myself out. Mm -hmm. Yes. And to distinguish, like there are people who are victimized. There are people who are are in like, they have truly suffered at the hands of another, but the mentality around living in that victimhood. You don't have to stay there. You can choose out. It may take a while. It may be a hard path, but there's always a growth and strengthening Mm -hmm. that comes from that. I mean, you could compare it to the kind of pressure that turns a piece of coal into a diamond. Exactly. Or that caterpillar into a butterfly. Caterpillar into a butterfly, much softer, prettier, prettier metaphor. But yes, (laughs) it's messy. It is is, a messy messy. process. Yes, but it's worth it. I was listening to Tony Robbins and Dean Graciosi. They were doing an event and they said, it's kind of the circular thing where you put the hard work in up front to reap the benefits to have it easy. So hard is easy. But then Mm -hmm. if you have it easy too long, then you're going to fall on hard times because you're not putting in the work. Right. (laughs) It's kind of one of those things (laughs) that's circular and you get to pick where you are in the circle. If you're having a hard time, put in the work, enjoy the benefits. And then when the next challenge comes along, put in the work and enjoy the benefits. But I mean, that's to me, that's what constitutes a virtuous spiral of growth, Mm -hmm. which is a vicious cycle of the things that we typically don't want. Exactly. So Kamel, tell us about an accomplishment that you're most proud of during your career. So one of my favorite tours was in Rio de Janeiro. I would call it a career high because that's where I really discovered a key part of my purpose, which was connecting people. 
So my then consul general had said, hey, I'd really like to do something to sort of reach out to a specific segment of what we call young people, people between 25 and 45 years old, not exclusively, but just targeting that segment because I want that youth, that energy. I want to raise the consulate's profile. I want to set up some professional networking because I think I'd gone to him a couple of times whining, being a victim of being just kind of lonely. Rio is a lot like D.C. in the sense that any tourist destination, the people that grew up there and live there typically don't associate with the people, that the transients, the people that come in and out or the tourists, et cetera. So Rio is a lot like that. And it's understandable why. So I was having a hard time personally having a social life. And I think I was probably whining to him about it. He said, well, let's do this thing. Let's put this young professionals happy hour together. I'm going to have you take the lead on it. I'm going to host it at my residence. We'll have a caipirinha bar. We'll have a DJ. We'll have every section of the consulate invite different people in that profile. And we'll have a mixer. It's like, okay, that sounds like fun. So we did it and it was very successful. And he told everybody there, okay, Camille's now in charge of this. So it laid fallow for a minute. And then the Marines came along and said, hey, we would love to have your help raising money for the annual Marine Ball because the Marines celebrate their anniversary every year in November. And there's always what we call sort of nicknamed the Embassy Prom, where people get dressed up in gowns and tuxes, et cetera. And it's just, it's very nice. It's a nice way to celebrate the Marines. So I helped them with a couple of happy hours at the JW Merritt in Copacabana, and they raised some money for their ball. And then they were kind of done. But people were still saying, when are we going to have the next one? So I said, okay, let me do a holiday party. It was December of, I guess it must have been 2010. And there's a place in Rio called Rio Sanarium, which is sort of a big touristy bar, but the locals like it too. It almost looks like a New Orleans antique shop on the ground floor. And so I staged this happy hour. I sent it out to my list of contacts and all the people that had come to the other ones. And it was pouring rain in December and 90 people showed up. So what that said to me was that there was nothing in this space. There was a hunger for it. There was a desire for it. I had a mix of expatriates like myself, expats, as well as Brazilians. And everyone showed up in the rain and had a great time. I had a business model. So every other month, I would find a cool venue in Rio. I would approach them. Hey, I'm from the American consulate. I have a list of class A people on my list who would love to discover your venue and might even come back and stage their own events. I don't have any money. So can I please use your space? (laughs) And the answer was generally yes. That's how these professional happy hours were born. I would use the Evite app as a list. People could add people to it. I would then export the list after each function. And after doing 12 of these amazing events, which kind of started off as networking and then turned into a party because Brazilians love a party. And so the Brazilians would come, they would invite their friends, they would introduce me to their friends, and then they would invite me to their things because they're very big on reciprocity. So I went from socially from a zero to a hero within a very short amount of time. And by the end, the last happy hour was in May. So it was a combination of my last hurrah, farewell party, birthday party, final events that was in Copacabana at this amazing property, a duplex condo with an infinity pool overlooking the Atlantic Ocean with people lined up around the block to get in, people calling my friends, begging to get on the list. It was covered by Caras, which is actually a very popular magazine in Latin America. And it was also covered by French television. They were doing a documentary on the high life in Rio. So that was just, (laughs) I mean, who does that? This is after building a list and having two, three, 400 people show up to my events. 
which is unusual for, again, for a Black woman. I was fulfilling a need and I was connecting people and people would tell me, hey, I met my business partner. I met my boyfriend, met my fiance because of your events or your events. So it was just an awesome initiative that came out of the ether or the opportunity came and I built it and they came. And it's just something that I partnered with our American Chamber. So there was always a business element to it, but there was also a personal element to it. And there was always high for me associated with it because it was just my extrovert was being fed and my purpose was being satisfied. People still remember me in Rio to this day. My goodness. (laughs) I love it. I love this idea of bringing people together. It's very socially focused, but it ends up having this business impact, which then actually furthered your impact and showed really your level of influence on being able to get people together, which I imagine is a big part of Yeah, the I mean, I was, I was there to break through what they call flanelinos or clicks. That was my purpose because I had experienced firsthand what it was like as an expat coming into Rio and not knowing anyone. Maybe you're lucky enough to stumble onto a group of people who then become what I call members of your tribe. Mm -hmm. These are the people that you click with. These are the people that make your life open doors for you, open your mind. My tribe in Rio taught me Portuguese (laughs) because it's one thing to be in a class. It's another thing to actually be immersed into the culture. We're still friends to this day. We still keep up with each other on WhatsApp and When I came back to Brazil during my Sao Paulo tour, I was in Rio quite a bit, and it was just wonderful to be able to connect with them. Of course, Rio has changed. You can never really go back on something like that. Went back to Rio hoping to relive those glory days, but they're fond memories that I'm just so privileged to have had that opportunity to create that. Thank you for sharing. And you mentioned earlier that Brazil is very different than Argentina. Brazil is my favorite country on earth. I love Sao Paulo. And what I tell everyone is when you go to Brazil, it is totally different than any country you've ever been to in your life. And you either love it or you hate it because it is so different. I just had a ball while I was there. I've been several times, both for work and for study. And yet it is, if I had to pick a place to live, that's where I would be. I mean, I think you'll notice that the only place I went to twice in my career was Brazil. (laughs) because it really is so special. I love Portuguese. I love the language, the music, the culture, the food. And it's just amazing. Exactly. We'll have to chat about about Brazil. (laughs) Do a whole episode on Brazil. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) So Camille, talk to us a bit about what types of opportunities small and medium businesses have relative to international trade. One, I'm curious is when we think about exporting, my mind always goes to products, but Are services something that businesses can export? And just talk us through what it is or what are some of the opportunities for small and medium-sized businesses? So first off, let me just establish up front that we work with companies of every size, but small and medium-sized businesses are kind of our bread and butter clients because small and medium-sized businesses, particularly small businesses, make up, I think, about 96 to 98% of the U.S. economy. Now, I don't know what the latest statistics are because of the pandemic, but those are the people that typically need our help the most. And one of the reasons why our offices are called U.S. Export Assistance Centers is because they were originally created as a one-stop shop. So we're actually co-located in many places with the Small Business Administration, as well as with the Export-Import Bank. So the Small Business Administration has lots of resources for companies that are trying to get established that can sort of use these government programs and resources to get to a point where perhaps they are then export ready. 
once they are export ready, meaning that they've done their homework, they've done their due diligence, they have the capital lined up that they need to start taking some risks, then we have our trade specialists strategically located at these 106 offices. Not every office has an SBA or an XM, by the way, but they're located in, I think, pretty much every state, not almost every state. And they're there to help a company start the process, or if they've already started the process, make them aware of the government resources they might not be tapping into, which they should be as taxpayers, or maybe they're there to kind of expand their activities. And so they have a Sigma 6 model that they use to help companies make those informed business decisions. And they do that with the market intelligence that our overseas posts, our overseas offices generate so that people are aware of the opportunities. One of the easiest ways for someone to dip their toe into the trade game uh, would be through something we call the International Buyer Program. And that's where we bring in delegations of buyers to trade shows here in the United States. So you're not even getting on a plane yet, but you have an opportunity to perhaps, if you're at said trade show, and you're working with us, it's something that we certify that we can actually bring buyers to you. We can set up meetings for you with these potential buyers of your product in our international business center. So that's one easy way for a small company that isn't necessarily ready to get on a plane to start getting into the trade game. Another service we offer for companies that are not quite ready to get into the trade game is something called an international partner search, where we take your brochures, sometimes your product samples, and we shop them around locally overseas to agents, reps, distributors, potential business partners who might be willing to take your product on and help you sell it. And so we essentially just give you a list and then it's your responsibility to follow up and get the product over and work with our teams overseas to get that going. One of our best selling products is called the Bulky Service. And essentially that's a customized, individualized trade mission where you are brought over, you decide, okay, this is the type of person I think I want to work with to sell my products. And we then set up a customized schedule for you. We have one of our team go with you. You need drivers or interpreters who are able to help you contract that locally. And then more often than not, that either results in some sort of a distribution agreement or sale. That's another way to get your foot in the door. If you're ready to make more of an investment, we have something called a single company promotion where you get a captive audience that we recruit for you for a workshop, a seminar, a cocktail, a dinner, a lunch, a breakfast, whatever it is that makes the most sense and our post can guide you where you get to do a product presentation. You get to have a seminar on your product and sell it perhaps to a group of distributors or dealers or whatever it is that is in your business model. So there are a number of opportunities that we can create to help get you into the trade game, particularly as a small company with limited resources. The other thing that we do, which is important to look out for are trade missions. So sometimes maybe you feel more comfortable going with a group of people and having group appointments. And we actually have an upcoming trade mission and business forum that's going to highlight opportunities throughout the Middle East and Africa called trade, you know, called trade wins. And it'll be March 6th through 8th. And for events like that, we will have our top commercial diplomats who are called senior commercial officers from our 18 commercial posts in the Middle East and Africa or near region. They're on hand to give market presentations and for one-on-one -on -one business counseling appointments. There's also a trade mission associated with it. So there'll be four available stops before the business forum. And then there'll be, I think, three available stops after the business forum. And the markets that we'll cover for this one will be Algeria, Egypt, Morocco, Saudi Arabia, United Arab Emirates, Kuwait might have dropped off, but Qatar, Israel, and there's one more, but it's going to be really exciting. 
it's an opportunity to just talk to the people firsthand to get the business appointments. As you're going on the trade mission, you'll have opportunities to meet with potential partners for your products and services overseas. Because we have the diplomatic cachet, we can get you in to meet with government officials and decision makers that you might not get to on your own. And I think the key here is that we qualify, we vet potential partners for you. We actually do have another product called an international company profile. So before you sign any contracts, we encourage you to use that background vetting service to make sure that everything is on the up and up. You're doing your due diligence. We're helping you with that before you sign that bottom line, because getting into a contractual issue or a legal issue overseas is not something you want to do. So we're also there to help keep you out of court because that can just really eat up whatever capital you had been gaining from the project. So we're there to make sure that we keep you out of court, that we help you find the right partner and that we get you paid if there's any issues. I love that. And you did say services are something that can be exported as well. So services exports would be something that would bring an international customer to the United States. Okay. So for example, potentially. So for example, education is considered a services export. So somebody comes here to go to university or go to school or contracts an online educational service. That's also considered a services export or tourism. Someone comes to the United States for tourism and books a hotel and rents a car and goes to a show. Those are all considered services exports. Or maybe that's something in the financial sector. FinTech, I believe, is considered a service export. Franchising, though, is sort of one of those exceptions where the franchisor is here, but then exports the business model overseas to an investor that wants to then take that franchise on. So Hard Rock Cafe is an example of a franchise that does well overseas. Pizza Hut does well overseas. Kentucky Fried mm. Chicken does well okay. overseas. A lot of food franchises do well, but there are also others. There's apparel, there's signage. There's a whole bunch of different franchise models that we are very big promoters of because you want to, I mean, sometimes finding that right investor is like trying to find a needle in a haystack. So you need help on the ground in order to do that. And some markets are better for that than others. India, where I served for three years, can be a very good market for a U.S. franchise because more often than not, you have parents that are trying to set their children up in business. So that's something that they can invest in for their children, depending on the situation. So that's an example. But yeah, you see U.S. franchises doing pretty well around the world because they're good business models. They're excellent quality products. And it's something that is a way for us to export our culture a little bit and make it a win-win because whoever the franchisee is, is making business and the franchisor is making money and the franchisor is also making money. So that's a services export model that we very strongly support. Great. Thank you. So the way we got connected is actually through your Welty initiative. So can you talk to the listeners about what Welty is and what you hope to see as a result of this initiative? So this is another career achievement here for me. You mentioned something that I'm really, really proud of. And I wanted to tell you a story from the past, something that was that happened and was completed. Wealthy is something that was born a little more than a year ago, of which I am extremely proud. We realized that women were among those hardest hit from the pandemic and that we would be doing everyone a service as the Commerce Department, as the International Trade Administration to introduce women to the trade game or to opportunities in the Middle East and Africa to help them recover faster from the pandemic. So under the previous administration, interestingly enough, Ivanka Trump 
Edward Ford, a women's global program or something, or a women's global development initiative. And commerce was trying to get in on that. And we never really did. So we decided to create our own initiatives. And that's where the idea was seated. My good friend and colleague, Terry Batch, who I believe you met, had come up with an idea of having a trade mission going to Africa, sort of having the four first ladies in Ghana, Nigeria, and South Africa, and I think Kenya, host this trade mission of women. And it was one of those moonshot ideas that was really cool and started dreaming, how do we get there from here? So I then worked with our then Deputy Assistant Secretary for the U.S. field, Anna Guevara. And between the two of us, we cooked up this idea for this wealthy initiative. She ended up leaving in January with the previous administration, but we wanted to keep going. So we started off in Kenya, where we highlighted the opportunities that a woman entrepreneur there had created for herself by importing beauty products from the United States. And she'd gone from kind of a small, I guess, Avon type operation to a line of pharmacies by doing this. And so we really wanted to highlight that business connection. I know others have highlighted an education or a cultural connection or a diaspora connection, whatever it was, or maybe just taking advantage of a U.S. government program that they were able to overcome challenges in business. And we found through this series that we've done highlighting different MIA markets, you know, Ethiopia, Saudi Arabia, Jordan, South Africa, Ghana. We've been all over Tanzania most recently where we met where we've had these women tell their inspiring stories. I think probably my favorite, maybe our favorite one is the one with the cow, the woman in Tanzania. She was a widow with a cow that turned it into an investment fund, a dairy company, and just yeah. amazing. Impacting like 100,000 So I think it helps. <laughs> yeah, I mean, just amazing. So I mean, we, we're looking for those diamonds, those butterflies, those diamond-studded butterflies, however <laughs> you want to put it. <laughs> Who can inspire other women? I mean, that's really what this is about. So it's about highlighting the opportunities and it's about inspiring other women to get into the trade game and to expand their global network with these amazing women. So what we're doing in conjunction with the Trade Wins Business Forum in Dubai is our very first ever Wealthy Summit. You can see that Wealthy is an acronym for Women Empowered Lead Legacies through trade and investment. And I give full credit to my colleague, Karen Barres, who's really helped me to run this program, to plan this summit, to have panels on women in clean tech, to have panels on women in supply chain, to have sort of resource pop-ups, financing. We have a technical session with our commercial law development program on protecting your rights and getting licenses, all the things that you would need to know to set up a business or to get into business with somebody successful without networking opportunities with a larger trade wins program. Wealthy Summit participants will have access to the business forum and the receptions associated with the trade wins program. We're actually, right now, we're looking for sponsors so that we can bring in women from other parts of the Middle East and Africa region for that rich networking that we really want to see happen. And this will be an opportunity for us to launch the Wealthy 2.0 is what I'm calling it. Because as we did our market focus, we kept hearing the same things over and over again. And these were themes associated with the need for capacity building. So whether it's access to capital, access to finance, that was one big area. Say you're a woman in the C-suite. How do you get there? How do you stay there? How do you get on a board? So I think that the topic of capacity building is really, really rich. And I would love to get suggestions from people about what they'd like to see covered in a wealthy coffee chat focused on capacity building. And you know, my intention with this is to highlight public and private resources that are available to help entrepreneurs get to that next level recover, reach their goals, grow, network, whatever it is, whatever your goals are, that's what we want Wealthy 2.0 to be designed for what's going to serve you. 
I love that. I think one of the things that's interesting or that you just highlighted is the fact that someone in the U.S., a U.S. business making a decision to export their products could have such an outsized impact because another, particularly in this situation, another woman takes that product, imports it, and now creates a big business that impacts her family, her community, and indeed her country. It creates jobs. Um, and it's creating jobs on both sides. It's a win-win. Yes. That's the beauty of it. Yes. So I think that's an excellent opportunity and just shows the impact of making that one decision. So how can folks learn more about Welty, about the trade assistance programs that are available? What are the websites or where should they head to in order to get more information? So for more information, just on the U.S. Export Assistance Centers or even our overseas posts, your listeners can go to www.trade.gov. And I think maybe four slash export will take them to the right page. The Wealthy page is a little bit more complicated. So let me get with Karen and have her share that link with you so that you can then maybe share with your listeners in the notes. We are always posting on LinkedIn under the hashtag Wealthy. So you can see some of the former coffee chats that we've done that we were able to record. One of the ones that I'm really, really proud of was when we did in November. We had, it was co-hosted by our Secretary of Commerce, Gina Raimundo, who really believes in this program, as well as the Saudi ambassador to the United States, Her Royal Highness, Princess Rima. And it was a slightly different twist where we were focusing on Saudi women in tech and encouraging them to consider investing in the United States. But we really had venture capitalists and mentors, advisors, a bunch of different resources on this side lined up. So it really is a two-way street. You know, while we're mm-hmm. focused on the outbound trade, there is another side where there's sort of the inbound trade and investment. So we focus on outbound trade and inbound investment, but then there are other partners that, for example, at the U.S. Agency for International Development, who focus on the inbound trade to the United States and the outbound U.S. investment. So we're not the only game in town. Uh, We're just the ones doing this right now. And I'm hoping to invite my friends and partners from our interagency team to join me so that we can highlight resources for women on this side of the pond and women on that side of the pond. So that's the intention here. But we will get you a link to the Wealthy page right after this. Okay. And we'll definitely include all that information in our show notes so that anyone who's interested can check it out. I'm excited because some friends and I will be in Dubai during the time of the Trade Winds event. So hopefully we will get to connect and celebrate either with lemonade or lemon drop (laughs) choices. I'm up for lemon drops, but you know, it's a dry country, (laughs) so it might have to be lemonade. (laughs) So we will definitely, I'm looking forward to being in Dubai and I'm looking forward to seeing all the exciting things that come out of the event. Hopefully we'll be able to get together. It's exciting to create something new and be part of something new, but that something is meaningful. Exactly, exactly. So I have two questions I ask every guest. One, what are one or two songs that are on your power playlist and why? Okay, I have a sort of an inspirational playlist, but I would say that the two songs that I want to highlight for you here would be Golden by Jill Scott, Living My Life Like It's Golden. And I think the other one that has always been a favorite of mine since I first heard it would be the song Defying Gravity. Hmm. And who's that song by? So it was, I think, originally sung by Liza Mandel as part of the Broadway show Wicked. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. And then it was picked up by the show Glee. So depending on what version you want, but it just sort of speaks to me to this, like, you know, just rising above, not letting anything hold you down. Those dreams are out there in the ether. And sometimes you have to defy gravity or the weight of other people's expectations (laughs) or even your own fears to really reach them. 
So that's something that has always really inspired me. I just love that song. I love it. And what is one book that you would recommend that has either inspired you or helped you thrive during your career? What book would you recommend for folks? I'll give you one that I listened to recently that I found fairly impactful. And I think a lot of people know her. It's called Take Control of Your Life by Mel Robbins. Mm-hmm. So I found her really inspiring. I love her style. She's gone from essentially being an addict to being this world famous motivational, inspirational force. She's putting her journey out there. And I think that people that are willing to be vulnerable and to kind of show their journey and share what they've learned along the way, and it is truly inspiring and it resonates with what we're trying to do with Wealthy. I'm not saying anyone was an addict, but the fact that people are willing to be vulnerable and say, look, I had this difficulty, I had that difficulty. This is how I overcame it and you can too. I love that. Well, Camille, it has been an absolute pleasure talking with you today. Like I said, I'm just excited to see what happens next. I'm excited to follow what you do next. And yeah, I'm just excited to see what the future holds. Well, thank you, Nikki. I am too. I'm so thrilled to have had this opportunity to be with you here today. But don't forget about the the trade.gov website and just, yeah, let people know how you heard about the commercial service, because this is something that we don't do enough of. Our tagline, unfortunately, is has always been the best kept secret in international trade. I would love to change that. So thank you for the opportunity to do that today. Yes, thank you. I appreciate your time. I love the fact that you want to get more women and particularly Black women into the commercial foreign service. And so I encourage everyone, if that's something of interest to you, also to check out the trade.gov website. I'm sure there's lots of information there and we'll provide some information for you to be able to follow up if that's your interest as well. Yeah. And hey, if you want, just reach out to me on LinkedIn because I can always point you in the right direction. So I'm just under my name, Camille Richardson. I'm on LinkedIn. You can find me. I'm after every wealthy coffee chat. I'm friend, 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 connect, 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 whatever. I'm happy. We can always use that platform if nothing else and we can get you to the right people. Great. Well, thanks, Camille. Thank you so much. Have a great day. You too. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Women Thriving in Business podcast. If you like this episode, share it with a friend. You can also share your feedback, your insights, your thoughts with us on social media via Instagram, Facebook, or LinkedIn. We'd love to hear from you. Be sure to like, review, and subscribe either on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or Spotify so you never miss an episode. Until next week, keep thriving. Thank you.